Hello and welcome back to Pan Am. This is a very special episode. In fact, it was Christopher's idea. Instead of telling you about a story of Paris, I'm going to read you a story that takes place in Paris. It's, of course, a Christmas story. And by a very famous, much-loved Belle Epoque writer, Guy de Montpassant. So I hope you enjoy it. Christmas Eve by Guy de Montpassant. Christmas Eve supper? Oh, no. I shall never go in for that again. Stout Henry Templier said that in a furious voice, as if someone had proposed some crime to him, while the others laughed and said, Why are you flying into a rage about it? Because a Christmas Eve supper played me the dirtiest trick in the world, and ever since, I have felt an insurmountable horror for that night of imbecile gaiety. Tell us what it is. You want to know what it was? Very well then, just listen. You remember how cold it was two years ago at Christmas. Cold enough to kill poor people in the streets. The Seine was covered with ice. The pavements froze one's foot through the sole of one's boots. And the whole world seemed to be at the point of going to pot. I had a big piece of work on, and so I refused every invitation to supper, as I preferred to spend the night at my writing table. I dined alone, and then began to work. But... About ten o'clock, I grew restless at the thought of the gay and busy life all over Paris, at the noise in the streets which reached me in spite of everything, at my neighbours' preparations for supper, which I heard through the walls. I hardly knew any longer what I was doing. I wrote nonsense, and at last I came to the conclusion that I had better give up all hope of producing any good work that night. I walked up and down my room. I sat down and got up again. I was certainly under the mysterious influence of the enjoyment outside, and I resigned myself to it. So I rang for my servant, and I said to her, Angela, go and get a good supper for two. Some oysters, a cold partridge, some crayfish, hams and some cakes. Put out two bottles of champagne, lay the cloth and go to bed. She obeyed me in some surprise and when it was all ready, I put on my greatcoat and went out. A great question was to be solved. Whom was I going to bring in to supper? My female friends had been invited elsewhere and if I had wished to have one, I ought to have been about it beforehand. So I thought that I would do a good action at the same time and I said to myself... Paris is full of poor and pretty girls who will have nothing on their table tonight and who are on the lookout for some generous fellow. I will act the part of providence to one of them this evening and I will find one if I have to go into every pleasure resort and have to question them and hunt for one till I find one to my choice. And I started off on my search. I certainly found many poor girls who were on the lookout for some adventure. 
but they were ugly enough to give any man a fit of indigestion, or thin enough to freeze as they stood if they had stopped. And you all know that I have a weakness for stout women. The more flesh they have, the better I like them, and a female colossus would drive me out of my senses with pleasure. Suddenly, opposite the Theatre de Variety, I saw a face to my liking, a good head, and then two protuberances. That one on the chest, very beautiful, and that one on the stomach, simply surprising. It was the stomach of a fat goose. I trembled with pleasure and said, By Jove, what a fine girl. It only remained for me to see her face. A woman's face is the dessert, while the rest is the joint. I hastened on and overtook her and turned round suddenly under a gas lamp. She was charming, quite young, dark, with large black eyes, and I immediately made my proposition, which she accepted without any hesitation. And a quarter of an hour later, we were sitting at supper in my lodgings. Oh, how comfortable it is here, she said as she came in, and she looked about her with evident satisfaction at having found a supper and a bed on that bitter night. She was superb, so beautiful that she astonished me, and so stout that she fairly captivated me. She took off her cloak and hat, sat down and began to eat, but she seemed in low spirits, and sometimes her pale face twitched as if she were suffering from some hidden sorrow. "'Have you anything troubling you?' I asked her. "'Don't let us think of troubles.' and she began to drink. She emptied her champagne glass at a draught, filled it again and emptied it again, without stopping, and soon a little colour came into her cheeks and she began to laugh. (laughs) I adored her already, kissed her continually and discovered that she was neither stupid nor common nor coarse as ordinary streetwalkers are. I asked her for some details about her life, but she replied... My little fellow, that is no business of yours. Alas, an hour later. At last it was time to go to bed, and while I was clearing the table, which had been laid in front of the fire, she undressed herself quickly and got in. My neighbours were making a terrible din, singing and laughing like lunatics, and so I said to myself... I was quite right to go out and bring in this girl. I should never have been able to do any work. At that moment, however, a deep groan made me look around and I said, What's the matter with you, my dear? She did not reply, but continued to utter painful sighs as if she were suffering horribly. And I continued, Do you feel ill? And suddenly she uttered a cry, a heart-rending cry, and I rushed up to the bed with a candle in my hand. Her face was distorted with pain, and she was wringing her hands, panting and uttering long, deep groans, which sounded like a rattle in the throat, and which are so painful to hear, and I asked her in consternation, "'What's the matter with you? Do tell me, what is the matter?' "'Oh, my stomach! My stomach!' she said. I pulled up the bedclothes, and I saw, "'My friends, she was in labour. Then... I lost my head, and I ran and knocked at all the walls with my fists, shouting, Help! Help! 
My door was opened almost immediately, and a crowd of people came in. Men in evening dress, women in low necks, harlequins, Turks, musketeers, and the inroad startled me so that I could not explain myself. And they, who had thought that some accident had happened, or that a crime had been committed, could not understand what was the matter. At last, however, I managed to say, This... this... woman is being confined... Then they looked at her and gave their opinion, and a friar, especially, declared that he knew all about it and wished to assist nature. But as they were all as drunk as pigs, I was afraid that they would kill her, and I rushed downstairs without my hat to fetch an old doctor who lived in the next street. When I came back with him, the whole house was up. The gas on the stairs had been relighted. The lodgers from every floor were in my room, while four boatmen were finishing my champagne and lobsters. As soon as they saw me, they raised a loud shout, and a milkmaid presented me with a horrible little wrinkled specimen of humanity that was mewing like a cat and said to me, It's a girl. The doctor examined the woman declared that she was in a dangerous state as the event had occurred immediately after supper and he took his leave, saying he would immediately send a sick nurse and a wet nurse and, an hour later, the two women came, bringing all that was requisite with them. I spent the night in my armchair, too distracted to be able to think of the consequences and almost as soon as it was light the doctor came again, who found his patient very ill and said to me, your wife, monsieur. She's not my wife, I interrupted him. Very well, then. Your mistress. It does not matter to me. He told me what must be done for her, what her diet must be, and then wrote a prescription. What was I to do? Could I send the poor creature to the hospital? I should have been looked upon as a brute in the house and in all the neighbourhood. And so I kept her in my rooms, and she had my bed for six weeks. I sent the child to some peasants at Poissy to be taken care of, and she still cost me 50 francs a month, for as I had paid at first, I shall be obliged to go on paying as long as I live, and later on, she'll believe that I am her father. But to crown my misfortune, when the girl had recovered, I found that she was in love with me, madly in love with me, the baggage. Well... Well, she'd grown as thin as a homeless cat, and I turned the skeleton out of doors. But she watches for me in the streets, hides herself so that she may see me pass, stops me in the evening when I go out in order to kiss my hand, and in fact worries me enough to drive me mad. And that is why I never keep Christmas Eve now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that rather curious nativity. Let me know what you thought. And I do hope you have a lovely holiday and that 2021 was okay for you and that 2022 will be even better. Thank you so much for everyone who listens and especially to the patrons. And here's a shout out to just a few more who've joined up this year and made this podcast possible. So thank you so much, Steve, Michael, Paul and Betty. And thank you to all of the patrons so, so much. So I hope you have a lovely holiday and a great new year. Karen, Jennifer, Cheryl, Alexandra, Maria, Eileen, Michelle, Nico, Atul, Elizabeth, Sally and Sarah. Both of you. Take care. 
Bye-bye.